Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Bible Time with Pastor Brian. This is, of course, your host, Pastor Brian, and I would just like to apologize for my absence the last couple of weeks. Uh, we had a family vacation a couple of weeks ago, so I was out of pocket on that one. And then last week was VBS at our church, so I just didn't really have enough time to put as much study into this as I wanted to, and enough time into getting a podcast recorded. So I am able to do that tonight, though. And so hopefully you guys enjoy this one. We're going to be continuing our look into the fate of the disciples. And we're going to be looking at Andrew, who, of course, is the brother of Peter that we covered last time. So, as I mentioned before, the only disciples out of the original 12, of course, whose deaths are mentioned in the Bible are James, John's brother, and then Judas. All of the others, including Andrew, come from traditional beliefs, historical accounts, things such as that, from writers in the early church, and then some from a little bit after that. We'll get into that in a minute, though. But let's look at where Peter and Andrew were actually called to be disciples first. And that comes from two different passages. The first one being in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And so, let me get this to pull up. There it is. So, uh, verse 18 says, Now as Jesus was walking by Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And then in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, it says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water, and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we have worked all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. So those are the biblical accounts there of the callings of Peter and Andrew. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but there were two different names given as to where they were fishing. The first one says the Sea of Galilee, and the second one says Lake Gennesaret. Now, are these different places? No. No, they're the same place. So that actually goes back to the ancient Hebrew. There was the Sea of Kinneret. Um, could be named after a town of the same name that was in the area, or the town could be named after the sea. Not really sure there. Or it could come from the word kinor, which means lyre, harp. And that's kind of based on the shape of the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever looked at it, it kind of does look like a harp a little bit. And then the Lake of Gennesaret was the Hellenistic or Greek version of the word kinaret. So just 
the Greek version of the word. And then the Sea of Galilee comes from the word Hagalil, which means district. And that was named for the region that it was located in. The region, of course, being Galilee. So it's, it's the same place. It's the same location. Back to Andrew, though. John mentions him in his gospel as being one of the followers of John the Baptist. And so that's where we get that from. The last mention of him in scripture comes from the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 13, when all of the disciples that are left, of course, are going into the upper room, and this is right before Pentecost happens. So he's one of, I mean, that's the last time we hear about him. He's one of the last ones that we hear, or he's one of the first ones that we hear about, lastly, this early in the New Testament. I mean, this is only the fifth book, the Acts um, span quite a bit of time, around 20 or 30 years or so, and he's he disappears after after chapter number one. So where does he go from there? Well, we're going to have to look outside the Bible to figure that out. The first place that mentions, or first person, I guess, rather, that mentions him is a guy named Eusebius from the 4th century. We've kind of talked about Eusebius a little bit already. Um, he wrote in his book called Church History that Andrew went to Scythia, which is modern-day Ukraine, Turkey, essentially the area around the Black and Caspian Seas. He also states that the Acts of Andrew is not recognized as canon. And we'll get into more of that uh, here in a second, too. Then the next thing is the Chronicle of Nestor. This comes from the uh, the year 1113, so kind of late. Um, if you're sitting there thinking about it, wait a second. That was over a thousand years after Andrew. I understand that. But it's a set of uh, Russian writings that have been written over the course of a few centuries. Earliest copy we have comes from the 13th century, so 1200s. So just right after that. Um, and then some of the stories are just, they're exactly that. They're stories that have been passed down to that point through oral traditions in the Russian Eastern Orthodox Church. And he was writing them all down, essentially. And in his chronicles, Nestor's chronicles, they claim that Andrew went to the area around the Black Sea, going as far north as the city of Kiev, which is, of course, now the capital of Ukraine. And then Hippolytus of Rome, he was writing in the late 2nd and early 3rd centuries, so just a little over 100 years or so after, after Jesus and after Andrew, claimed that Andrew preached to the Scythians and the Thracians, which is modern-day Bulgaria, was crucified, suspended on an olive tree. This supposedly occurred in the city of Patre in Achaia, which is a Greek district just west of the province of Corinth, which the city of Corinth is also located there too. And he was buried there, but no year is given as to when this happened. Then the apocryphal Acts of Andrew, that I talked about a little bit ago, was written in the mid-2nd century, supposedly by a guy named Lucius Carinus. He was a famous, pretty much Christian fiction writer of the era. He wrote a few other acts, is what he called them. He wrote one about John, and then I think he wrote one about Peter as well. And they're all, uh, I guess the best way you could put it is Christian fiction. They are very fanciful with a lot of the things they talk about. Um, I read in the Acts of Andrew that one of the things that happens at Andrew's tomb is that it produces manna from heaven. like Kind of like going back to the, to the Old Testament, you know, when the Israelites were coming up out of Egypt um, and that God sent down manna from heaven for them to eat. He says that now Andrew's tomb produces that in some form or fashion. And then there were a couple other different things that are very, very fanciful. He calls them miracles, but 
Um, they're not what we would consider to be miracles in like a biblical sense, if you understand kind of what I'm, where I'm going with there. And he supposedly follows Andrew's miracles and journeys until his demise by scourging and crucifixion. And this comes after three days of preaching while he's hanging on this cross and witnessing to those that were witnessing his execution. And the reasoning that Corinus and the Acts of Andrew give behind his execution are kind of interesting and very fitting for um, a Christian of the era. So what had happened was this guy named Aegeus, or Aegeus, was a provincial leader that was living in the city of Patre. And his wife was sick. His wife's name was Maximilla. She was very, very sick with a fever. And this man comes to Andrew and is begging at his feet because he's heard of all these wonderful, miraculous things that Andrew has done, and he wants him to come heal his wife. So Andrew, being the follower of Jesus that he is, he sees somebody in need, so he goes to help. He shows up, and he heals her. And it leaves a lasting impression on her. And she actually comes to see him and hear him speak um, in the town forum, pretty much. Anytime that he gets up and she knows that he's about to speak, she's always there to listen. And so she ends up through listening to Andrew and possibly hearing other people that might have also been preaching the gospel in that area, she ends up converting to Christianity. She surrenders her life to Christ uh, through Andrew's preachings and teachings and things. And it was all while her husband, Gis, or Gis, was away, and he comes home, and she's all excited about her faith, but he's mad because now she's been converted away from their polytheistic religion that was kind of the focal point of their entire community in the region of um, Patre there. And so he has Andrew executed for this. The man that just a little bit before that, he had begged to heal his wife and did, he is now having him executed um, for converting her to his religion and to, you know, leading her to Christ there. But it says that he lasts for three days uh, before he actually dies. And interestingly enough, after his death, uh, Maximilla, the, the wife there that was kind of at the center of this whole thing, she paid for Andrew to be embalmed and buried in the city, according to the Acts of Andrew, anyway. Now, this is not anywhere else. Um, any source that discusses this happening comes from the Acts of Andrew. And like I said, Acts of Andrew is kind of like Christian fan fiction. It's where... Somebody goes and reads the Gospels and reads Acts and other writings like of Paul and Peter, and they concoct their own story from that, usually including a lot of fanciful things that didn't really happen, but kind of spice the story a little bit, I guess. And that's, that's where the Acts of Andrew is. Before his death, the Eastern Orthodox Church actually claims that Andrew founded the church in the city of Byzantium. Um, or the See of Byzantium, um, which is a very Catholic slash Eastern Orthodox way to talk about a church, and which is just a network of churches essentially. Um, the the Catholic Church in like the Vatican is called the Holy See, like they're the center of the church there. But either way, um, they claim that he founded the See in Byzantium, which later, of course, became the city of Constantinople which was the center of the 
Eastern Roman Empire, the last um, gasp, I guess you could say, of the Roman Empire for a little bit, lasting all the way up until the years uh, 1452, 1453, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, when it fell uh, to the Turks, who, who, you know, renamed the city to Istanbul, and that's what it's still named today. But a lot of Eastern Orthodox people still look at Constantinople slash Byzantium slash Istanbul as being a very important site in their faith. Because um, you do have the Hagia Sophia that is there. Um, massive, massive cathedral that was built um, by Justinian, I believe. But either way, they, they claim that Andrew founded that. Now, there is a little bit of controversy around his death. And if you notice, I did talk about him being crucified. All, at least two of these talk about him dying by crucifixion. And any other early source that people have uncovered about Andrew talk about him dying. And talk about him dying from crucifixion. But it says nothing special about the cross that he was crucified on. Just like most of the early sources say nothing about Peter being crucified in a different way than Jesus was. Because remember we talk, when we talked about it two weeks ago, um, or three weeks ago, sorry, three weeks ago now, um, Peter was supposedly crucified upside down. Now there's not a lot of resources um, that point to that being the case. Same thing goes here with Andrew. Now some of you might be familiar with what's called St. Andrew's Cross, and it's the central piece, or it's not central piece, centerpiece of the flag of Scotland. Uh, so it's this big white X, essentially. And they claim that that was the cross that Andrew was crucified on, was on an X-shaped cross, because, you know, just like his brother Peter, didn't want to be crucified in the exact same way that Jesus was. That does not come from any of the early accounts. They all mention him being crucified, and that's about it. Um, Hippolytus of Rome mentions the only thing different. He mentions him being suspended to an olive tree, so he wasn't nailed to it. He was tied to it. But that's really the only difference. More than likely, most scholars believe Andrew was probably killed on what's called a Latin cross, or what we would recognize as being a normal cross instead of an X-shaped one. Earliest source that talks about St. Andrew, or Andrew, on a uh, St. Andrew's cross, quote-unquote, which is called the Saltier cross, comes from the 10th century. It's like the 900s, 800 years after his death, or 800 and however many years after his death. And even that, um, yeah, it was talked about, but they didn't really catch on. Like, that idea didn't really catch on until the 1600s. So just a little over 400 years ago was when that whole idea caught on, that Andrew was crucified on that shaped cross. My conclusion, it seems like there's fairly, fairly well documented, very well founded and grounded um, information out there that says that Andrew traveled to the region of Scythia, so around the Black and Caspian Seas. He went to modern-day Bulgaria. He went to places like that, possibly even Kiev. We'll say that there's a chance that he went up that far. And he did die of crucifixion in the city of Patre, near Corinth, not too far away from Corinth. But everything else, kind of debatable, to be honest. It's 
not to say that it's not true. It's not to say that there's not a possibility of that being true. But when all of the evidence suggests it to be otherwise, it's probably not true. And if you know me, and hopefully you do by now to some extent, you know that I like to know things as much as they can be known. I love details. I love digging into things. I love looking up resources to try to figure out why we say something is what it is. And so that's what I'm hoping to do with this study right here, is to go and dig into these disciples and what they experienced or supposedly experienced and how we know that, like where it comes from. And that's a question you should ask every day. Not just when it comes to the disciples, but when it comes to anything that you believe about Christianity, about Jesus, about the Bible. Go and find out why you think that. Don't just say, well, it's because my dad told me, or it's because my grandma told me, or a pastor told me one time, or I heard it here, I heard it there. Heard it on Bible time with Pastor Brian one time. I don't want you to say that that's where you heard it from, and that's just what you ended with. Go dig it up on your own. Go listen to it. Go read it. Go study it. Figure it out. And know why you know that. Because one day you might have to answer for it. Somebody might say, well, where did you get that from? Where did you hear that St. Andrew, or I'm calling him St. Andrew, where did you hear that Andrew was crucified on a regular cross instead of literally the cross that was named after him? Where did you hear that from? Well, you can tell them. Well, at first I heard it from Bible Time Pastor Brian, but I went and dug it up on my own and found out, yeah, that's pretty true. But there's not really a lot of evidence out there to suggest that. I want you guys to go and dig into things too. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Go compare it to Scripture. Go compare it to all of these sources that I pulled up. Um, if you ever need any of the sources that I've pulled up, I'll gladly send them to you. Um, I think my email is actually linked on... Um, my RSS feed and on my Facebook profile to where, or you can send me a message on there. I'll get them from there too. If you're saying, hey, I want to know where you got that from. Where did you hear about Eusebius? Where did you read that? I can send you the links. I can show you these PDF files, and web documents and things and books that I've studied through and where I found all this information out that I've given you because I would not be saying it into this microphone if I did not know for 100% sure that I got it from the source that it said that it came from. So, anyways, my little rant is over. And hopefully you guys have enjoyed this study tonight. And we'll be continuing with the same topic next week as we look at um, what happens to the disciples after they spent their time with Jesus. Let us pray. God, as we come before you here this time, we're just so blessed and humbled and honored. I know I'm humbled and honored to be able to share your word with these people and God to talk about this group of people, this wonderful, wonderful group of people that you called to carry your gospel throughout this world. And no, they weren't perfect like you are, but they still did a great job of carrying this gospel to the corners of the earth. And as we see here, they went way far away from home. They went so far away from everything that they had known into places where they weren't sure how it would end for them. And some of them, most of them even, doesn't look like it ended very well, at least the two that we've talked about so far. And I pray, God, that you would give us that same courage that they had. As we look around this world and see the darkness growing and see all of these things just coming to pass, that we know 
that it's going to be harder and harder to share the truth of the gospel with people as these years go on. I pray that you give us that same courage that they had to share the gospel without fear and to stand on the truth of God's holy word just like they did. I pray, O oh God, that you um, have blessed this time that we've had together and I pray, God, that um, you are the Lord of this time that we had. And I turn it all over to you and into your hands. And it's in Jesus' name I do and we pray. Amen. Thank you guys again. And I will see you next week.